Well, last week we got into talking about the Bible, and I'm not sure if you remember, but we just briefly discussed um, a lot of information all kind of in one compact little deal. And as we talked about, we talked about the historical accuracy of the Bible. We talked about what it is. We talked about how do we know it's true, and is it still relevant today? And I think if we walked away from last week, we came down to one statement, that if you took away the Bible, you take away the entire Christian message. And if you think about that, and as you pondered it this week, I'm hoping that maybe you had a chance to, to get into what the Bible had to say, got a chance to read a little bit. We do have some uh, reading plans, like I said, online. But um, really, if you think about it, the Bible is our fallback. It really keeps us um, in line. And when we have questions, we go to it, or we go to somebody who knows about it for advice. And the crazy thing is, is sometimes it says stuff that we don't want to hear. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that before. Um, it, it does for me. Maybe I'm alone. But uh, the Bible says things that we don't want to hear about. And uh, we uh, maybe even sometimes pretend that we didn't read it in there because we don't want it to, to have to apply to our lives. Or we didn't hear it on a Sunday morning. And as we, as we think about the Bible and what we talked about last week, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds the Bible. I'm not sure if you've uh, ever mentioned the Bible to anybody before. Uh, said, you know, I was reading this, and, and you got that look on, from them that says, I don't really care what you have to say because the Bible I don't believe in. It's written by, you know, all the things we talked about last week. But, you know, one of the things um, I think is, is hard to, to wrap our mind around as well is we talked last week that the Bible was written by God or God breathed or God inspired that he, he wrote it by passing it down through men. What if you don't believe there's a God? Then what? Then it's just a book, right? Because there's no God. And, and the, um, the thing about it is, is I would love to be able to stand up here to you today and prove to you that there is a God. I'd love to be able to do that. thing is, I can't. I cannot do that. I cannot prove that there is a God. It is a truth that I hate to admit, but I can't prove there's a God just as much as somebody can't disprove there's a God. Because proof comes based on evidence. And there's plenty of evidence out there, but there's nothing that we can wrap our minds around. There's nothing we can hold on to that's tangible that might change somebody else's mind. If you really think about it, same thing with the Civil War. I mean, you can talk about the Civil War, and, and you can hear stories about the Civil War, and you can see pictures from the Civil War, and you can see all the different things, but there's no way to absolutely prove that it actually happened. Is there? Because if I want to deny the fact that the Civil War happened, I could find things to disprove and have those conspiracy theorist things, you know, all the, all, there are people out there, that's what they do. And they try and disprove. But there's enough evidence there that most of us truly believe it happened. Just like there is with God. There's enough evidence there that we truly believe that it happened. You see, the limitation of human existence is that our perception of reality is limited to our five senses, it's limited to the nature of logic, and it's limited, limited to the interpretation of the human mind. And I know you know some people that they have some very strange logic. As a matter of fact, most of the time, when I'm talking with people, I throw logic out the window because I can't understand what they're talking about. Or I don't understand where they're coming from, from a logical point of view. So to help me understand them and not give them weird looks with my face, I have to switch to illogical thinking. And that's the way it is. Proof is nothing more than the evidence that results in a firm belief on the person, on, on part of the person who observes it. 
Proof is nothing more than the evidence that results in a firm belief on the part of the person who observes it. Like I said, for the great, belie- uh, great thing for the belief in God is this, and hopefully it's yours as well. There's a lot of convincing evidence. Philosophers have long said that everything in our world has a cause. And if there's a cause to everything, there must be an uncaused cause agent to get the ball rolling. If there's a cause for everything, there has to be something that wasn't caused to be in with to get the ball started. That points to God. And these are philosophers, not Christian philosophers, just philosophers in general. Scientists and physicists point out to the fact that there's so much order to the design of the universe, it is strong evidence on its own that there's an intelligent designer. Ethicists say that our moral values have to come from somewhere. There has to be a place where moral standards for right and wrong come from. And the funny thing is, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, that God wrote those things on our heart. That's just a few pieces of evidence that God really does exist. Now, the hard part about it all is trying to, to teach somebody else that or tell somebody else that. And, you know, we are naturally darkened, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the fact that God is real, that he's alive, and he started a story that, captures, that is captured in the Bible, and we are still living out today. We are a part of a grand story. And like any story, it has ups, it has downs, it has tension, it has climax, it has all the different pieces that any good story would have. Even we have a theme, theme to it all. There's, a, there's a, a score, if you will, a soundtrack. You know, uh, it's funny, I heard a guy talking, and it's been a long time, I heard a, a message about creation and how God created it uh, and, and made it all happen and brought it together with people to be the, the score, the soundtrack. As we turn and worship him, that is the music. And I'm not sure if you, have you ever watched a movie, and, and I, I'm sorry for my, my, uh, my deaf friends, because obviously the answer to them is yes, but have you ever watched a movie without music in the background and how it's anticlimactic? I mean, music makes it happen. It makes you feel, it makes those things. And, and when it comes to that, that's kind of what God had created us for. Because have you ever been to the point in your life where you said, what, am I, what on earth am I here for? Why did God make me? Or why am I here? And I think whether you believe in God or you don't, that question comes up. Because there's got to be more to life than just living and dying, right? I mean, there's got to be more to it than just simply breathing in, breathing out, and eventually breathing out your last time. And when we come to that point, and it seems to be for a lot of people, um, and at least it was for me and a lot of people I've talked to, it seems to be when they, they come to the point and when they, have, uh, they get married or when they have kids. It's like, okay, there's got to be something more to this. There's got to be more than just this. And we start asking and we start trying to figure out what the big idea of all this really is. And today, that Nature Walk uh, video that I showed you uh, wasn't just, uh, just funny, which it was, because uh, it's funny, if you go to YouTube, it's got like, Three million hits on it, uh, and he has a whole season worth. There's not enough to to show, but there's it's just cheesy, just like that one was. But um, the the idea of of that and why I showed it is because today we're going to talk about creation. Last week we started out with the Bible, one of the things that our church believes and what we believe about the Bible. Well, this this week we're going to talk about creation. We're going to take some steps over the next few weeks and talk about what's gonna what's gonna happen and what we believe and why we believe it. Now. One thing we will, we will skip next week being the fact that it's Super Bowl Sunday and we want you guys to wear your jerseys, your favorite team stuff, and it doesn't even have to be football if you don't want to be. But, uh, you know, come displaying your pride in those things. Uh, it's going to be a fun Sunday. We're going to talk about competition next week, but then we're going to get back into all the different things that the Bible has to tell us about. 
why we believe what we believe. And as we're getting into creation, I understand, and maybe it's somebody even in here, there are people that believe in evolution, that God didn't have anything to do with it, that God may not even exist. And evolution is the whole idea that, you know, uh, there was a big bang that happened. Of course, nobody can explain where that big bang came from. But there, there are people that, that believe by faith that everything that surrounds us, everything that's up on that mountain, everything that's out there in, in, the, in the desert, all the things going on happened by accident. I have a hard time with that. I have a really hard time with that. As a matter of fact, I think those people who believe that have a greater faith than I do. Because how can you look at things and say, that happened by accident? How can you look at a kid and look him in the face and watch them grow and grow and grow and be like, that's just a big accident? That's just millions of years of primordial ooze that came together and happened. It just doesn't make any sense. So you have to have a great faith to believe in that. Now, you also have to have a great faith that God, God pr- presented it. But I think you have to have a lesser faith to believe that God did it than it just happened by accident. The second thing is that some people believe in, with creation that God used evolution, that God created the Big Bang and everything happened. And everything happened over the time and over the time. And if I ever read the Genesis account, um, I don't see that happening that way. Especially, especially because it says when God created man, he made him special. And if we're an accident, that doesn't sound very special. I haven't had any very special accidents. Um, so that thinking is also this there. But I want to tell you what our church believes. Because even some people will believe that God used evolution over the time because the six days that are recorded in Genesis were evolutionary days, and they weren't just a 24-hour period, but they were thousands or millions of years long. And that's where we get age of everything. And my thing, I always said to people, I said, well, God didn't make Adam a baby. He created him a man. So why didn't he create everything else with age? And so there's a lot of debate about it. And once again, just like we talked about you can't really prove or disprove God, Genesis probably asks more questions than it answers about how it happens. And that's where faith comes in. And that's why we want to talk about a little bit today why we believe what we believe. And um, I'd like to build it off the foundation, obviously, of what we talked about last week, and that's the Bible. If you do me a favor, uh, open up your Bibles. Very easy if you've never opened a Bible up in your entire life. Uh, very easy to find what we're going to be looking for. Genesis 1.1, okay? Genesis 1.1, the very first birth, uh, verse of the Bible. It is the birth of everything. And these are the words that show up. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And that statement right there kind of opens up a few things for me. First thing is, God is eternal. God is eternal. He pre-existed everything else. He pre-existed the universe, and there was a beginning that he brought into light. He brought everything into light. The second thing is, the universe had a beginning. Many scientists will teach you or will we'll, uh, say that the universe was eternal, but it's not. It's not. It had a beginning, and God's the one that created it. And not only did it have a beginning, but, um, uh, or not only is it not eternal, it's also not cyclical. There's a lot of um, Eastern religions that say, you know, there's the reincarnate type of mentality. This tells us very much so that the, the universe had a beginning. The third thing is, is God cur- personally created everything in the universe. I get from that statement right there. And that's an important thing to think about. An important thing to believe. These are very important to, gr- to grasp because of this. It goes back to last week. If you take away the Bible, you take away the entire Christian message. Well, if you take away the story of creation, you take, a- take away the rest of the Bible. Because it all, like I said, it flows like a story. It all happens. Everything that happens in the Bible happens 
because of what happened at creation and what happened after creation. And that's some of the things we're going to talk about today. If you take away those doctrines, you take away everything that God's story depends on with these truths. We really could sit down and take months and go through the six days of creation. I mean, we could go through each day and really hammer out exactly why God did it and how he did it and everything else that is there. But what I want to do is I just want to touch on them real fast, and I want to challenge you maybe this week to read about them, to take a day and read about day one, day two. Go from Monday through Saturday. Read about each day and kind of read. And, and don't just read it for the reading's sake to say, yep, I did my reading for the day. Read it as the poetry that God created to be and how he created everything that is there. And if you have a chance to, go online. Go to some of the places that talk about where all these things came from and some of the deeper meanings of it, each, each of them. So I want you to do that this week, but what I want to do today is I want to touch on a few things uh, from each day. Day one, day one says, let there be light. Let there be light. Separating the darkness from the light. And if you know any kind of good story, there's a foreshadowing that always takes place. It tells you what's going to happen next. A lot of us probably don't realize the foreshadowing that took place on the day of creation when God took darkness, everything that was dark, and brought light to it. The foreshadowing is, is when he brought Jesus into this world, he took everything that was dark and brought light into it. Our lives that were dark, when Jesus came into our lives, brought light into it. There's a foreshadowing that takes place right there. Day two and three, they follow the same pattern of day one, which is separation. Separation on the first day was light from darkness. Then the second day was water below and above, and on the third day was sea from dry land. So those are some things that we see. Once again, I want you guys to read about this week if you have a chance to, and really get into it and see what he says. On day four, he takes the light and darkness. Instead of just having them, he delegates responsibility to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, which is kind of a cool thing. And I'm not sure if you're kind of an astro geek kind of thing, but, you know, the whole idea of Star Wars is really cool to me. Um, I've liked Star Wars since I was a little tiny kid and, and uh, just, just loved all the things that go on uh, in there. But the idea of stars and moons and universe beyond where we're at and jumping into light speed, that'd be awesome. But um, the, the, everything that goes with it, I think we forget how God really tied everything together when it comes to sun and moon and stars. I mean, if you really think about it, the sun is an amazing thing. Do you realize that if all of humanity came together, if we all had a, a joint effort to say, you know what, we really don't like the sun and we want to destroy it, we couldn't do it. With all the technology we have and all the things, if we wanted to send every bit of nuclear missiles and everything else out there into space and try and blast the, the sun out of, I mean, it would be dumb, but, you know, we've done dumber things. Um, to, to think that we are going to do something like that, it wouldn't be possible. Because the sun is so powerful. And as a matter of fact, it has been doing the exact same thing for thousands and thousands of years. It hasn't ever gotten bigger or smaller or burned out or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's been the same. And scientists have studied it. And for thousands of years, this has taken place. And do you realize the earth has been spinning around that sun for the same amount of time that it's been around? At 66,000 miles per hour. Which in, your, in itself right there kind of blows you away just a little bit because... Did you know that at 66,000 miles per hour, it's exactly the amount of speed that is needed to keep the gravitational sun of, uh, pull of the sun from pulling the earth into it? Just happens to be that way, right? That was all an accident. Um, and then, of course, you take that and you think, okay, at the earth, as it is turning, it's also at a 23 and a half degree tilt. 
as it's spinning. And as it's spinning, because of that 23 and a half degree tilt, it gives us the seasons that we have. And it gives us the warmth, and it gives us the rain, and it gives us the sun, and then it gives us the snow and the cold and everything else. Do you realize if that tilt was just off by a little bit, by a, a degree and a half either way, that our summers would be unbearable and our winters would kill us? But that just happened by accident. Um, as we think about these things, and we think about the things that, that God has done, and in the creation, and in these days that he put this stuff together, it just blows you away. I mean, even take the fact that our ozone protects us from 70% of the radiation that comes from the sun that would kill us. And the, the atmosphere actually burns up over 70 million tons of space junk that would crash into the earth. Because that's the way God created it. And that God has a masterful plan, and this is how the story started. This is how it all got started for us to be here and get going. And then we could even go into even further, and I could go on and on, like I said, about this kind of stuff. But did you know that the amount of nitrogen in the air to the amount of oxygen in the air is precisely what it needs to be? Because if there was more oxygen than there was, than there was right now, the fires wouldn't be able to go out because they're naturally, they work together. And these, it, it just mind-boggling if you really get into the science nerdy stuff. And if you're that way, do it. If you're not, I'm sorry that I just wasted your time. Um, day five, day five, he starts creating fish. And he starts creating things in the ocean. He creates birds of the air. Let me tell you something. I'm just geeking out a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, the, the idea of a whale, largest creature that God made, out there in the ocean, swimming along, eats 2,600 pounds of plankton a day to survive. 2,600 pounds. And there's not just one whale in the ocean. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not. But um, the amount of plankton that God created to feed the whales, it's just, wow, mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. And yet people still can't believe that God created things. And this stuff all just happened by chance. Then you think about a bird like the hummingbird that flaps its wings a million times a second, and then you have an eagle that soars, and then you have a woodpecker that slams its head into a, into a tree constantly. You know, God created all that stuff, and it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And then, of course, you have day six. Day six, he created some animals and, and all that, that thing called man. You know, on day six, it was like the beginning part of the story already had a climax. It went from, from the, the light and the dark, and then it went to the seas being separated and the skies and the heavens and, and all the things. And all of a sudden, here's the climax. It's man. It's man because man was made in God's image, and the Bible tells us that very clearly, that we are made in his image. And, you know, it just blows me away that God made us from dust, and he breathed life into us. And the funny thing is, is that some people say, well, you know, God can't create you from dust. Did you realize? Um, I went to an exhibit one time, and it was all about the human body and, and the different things that take place. And if you take out the 60% of water that we're made of, the last 40% is all minerals that can be mined from the earth. Kind of crazy stuff to think about. Kind of crazy. And the great thing is, is that at the end of this first part of the story, we find it in Genesis 1.31, it says this, and I'm going to give you a little old school KJV version, okay? And I'm going to do the <sighs> preacher style here for you as we read this. It. it says, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good indeed. That's right. Amen. Preach it, brother, you know. You know uh, it, it's, it was very good. 
It was very good. And all the things that God had done, it was very good. My question for you is right here, right now, as we look around the room, as you look at the person sitting next to you, don't answer it out loud, but would you say that this world is still very good? Would you look outside and say that the things that God created is very good? Absolutely. The only problem is, is you look at the person next to you and there's something slightly wrong with them. There's something slightly wrong with them compared to what God created us to be back in the book of Genesis. It's not quite so very good anymore. I mean, I like the idea of being very good. But something happened. Something happened that if you look at the news and watch the news on a regular basis, you know that something's not very good. You know that when you get angry driving down Paseo like I do, Every time I'm on that stinking road, I don't know why I even bother taking it. I hate people. Oh, wait, that didn't come out right. See, as I said, you've got to be careful what you say because somebody's going to play that back on the Internet. Oh, Pastor Matt hates people. Um, oh, okay? Texting and driving. Oh, you know what I'm saying? People swerving in and out, cutting. Don't you cut in. I'm waiting in line. You wait in line too. Those are the things. It's not very good. It is not very good. And what happened? What happened? Well, if you've been in church for more than a day, or even heard about church and heard about these two people that God created to begin with named Adam and Eve, I think you know what happened. Do me a favor, if you're in your Bible still in the book of Genesis, flip over to the next chapter, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly, you will surely die. Adam walked with God. He walked with him in the garden. Everything that he could possibly need. He had fellowship, one-on-one face contact with God. I said, hey, I'm not going to make you a puppet, Adam. I'm not going to make you have to do what I say. I'm going to give you a choice. There's going to be some obedience and there's going to be some law, and you have the choice to follow it. You have everything that you could possibly need, everything that's around Now you can choose to obey or you can disobey. I bet you can't guess what he did. In case you don't know the answer to the question, let me read a little bit of what happened. And uh, we're going to read from the book of Romans here. And you don't have to flip to it. You can just uh, look up here on the screen. And just to let you know, as soon as we're done going through what we're doing here, we're going to go through the entire book of Romans. So we're going to look a little deeper into this stuff about the sin nature of man and some of the things that take place. But take a look here at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to who? Everyone. For everyone sinned. And as you see from the passage, the result of eating the fruit was death. And God said it up front. God said it right up front. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That's a sad thing. That's a sad, sad thing thing and the deal is is that it must have been really hard to not want to eat that fruit 
How hard was it for, for each of us even still today? I mean, Adam knew what he could have. He knew what he couldn't have. And he had everything except for one thing that he wasn't allowed to touch. And yet he went for it. Does that describe the human condition even still today? We have so much, and yet we want that one thing we can't have. It causes all sorts of problems for us. All sorts of problems. So this leads us to the next question. Because we've all sinned, because we all have sin in our life, is sin really that big of a deal? Is sin really that big of a deal? I've actually been asked this question before. Well, is sin really that big of a deal? We all do it. And the answer to that question is, yes. It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal because it changed everything that day in the garden. Sin is an obstacle that none of us can get over. None of us can get past on our own. Sin uncovers our basic nature, the basic nature of humanity, and that is that everything is about us. That is uncovered with sin. Everything is about us, and that creates tension in this unfolding story that God has placed in front of us. It causes all sorts of problems for us. It broke everything. Sin created brokenness. And here's some different things how brokenness affects each and every one of us. How do we know that? Well, first is this. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. We all sin, and therefore we break God's law. God's response to Adam's rebellion was a curse to the human world. A curse to the human world. Romans 8 tells us that all creation was subject to futility. Unfortunately, we're part of all creation. The second thing we know is that sin results in alienation from God. Sin results in alienation from God. There's two uh, verses I want you to look at. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. It says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Sin is in every man and woman. Sin is in every man and woman. That's a bad thing. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. That sin is universal. But Adam's sin broke up that fellowship with God, is what I was talking about with the alienation from God. And Romans 5.10 tells us that we're enemies of God. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that when Jesus saves them, they're reconciled back to him. Because sin is universal. The fourth thing is, is this, is sin is depravity. I'm not sure how many of you guys are Calvinists, how many of you guys are Arminian, how many of you guys have any idea what either one of those things are. Um, but there's, a, there's some teaching out there of depravity. And depravity means be completely depraved, completely without, you know, worthless, pointless. And sin creates total depravity. And I think sometimes that gets misconstrued in what it is and how it is um, explained. I'd like to tell you what it means. We are, by inheritance we've been passed down through the line we are wicked people i know i've been in plenty of talks with spiritual people that say well no no we're good people we just have some some evil tendencies and i want to say no 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 we are evil people with some good tendencies we have the ability to do good i have three kids i didn't teach any of them to lie i didn't teach any of them to hit and i didn't teach any of them to say it's mine they all knew it they all knew it and you knew it too that doesn't have to be taught. It's because we're in, 
you know, I have to teach them to say thank you. They didn't come out going, thank you, Daddy. You know, that, that never happened right away. It was because of being taught. So there are good tendencies, but we are wicked, evil people from the very beginning. It's just a terrible thing to say and a terrible thing to believe, but it's true. And it all because we are straight from, like I said, totally depraved. We are sinners that have been affected in every part of our being, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Ephesians 4, 18. The minds, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. We are depraved and we're away from God. The fifth thing that sin does is it results in inability. It's much is I would love to believe that God has a giant scale up in heaven that says, here's your good deeds, here's your bad deeds. As long as your good outweighs your bad, you get to come on in. You get a big shovel, and you just load them all up there. And that's the gates. There, I believe St. Peter, all the jokes say that St. Peter's standing at the gate, and he's the one that gets to do it all for you. It's not the case, though. It's unfortunate, but it's not the case. Romans 8, 7 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. We by nature, want to resist God. That's why I said even up at the beginning, there are things in the Bible we like to hear, and there are things in the Bible we don't like to hear. And what we do is we'll pick and choose. We take like the spiritual buffet, like the Bible is a big, well, if you like this, do it. If you don't, don't take it. That's not unfortunately the way it is. It's a story, and it all works together, and it's all part of who we are and making us out to who we're supposed to be. We're unable to reach God because we can't submit on our own because of sin. It creates an inability that is there. We can only reach God with the Holy Spirit changing us. The sixth thing I want to tell you is that sin results in satanic bondage. I know that sounds really demon-possessed, kind of, satanic bondage, uh, you know, that kind of thing like that. But the whole thing here is, is that when Adam was created, he was given dominion. He was given rule over everything on the earth. He was allowed to name the animals. He was allowed to, to do what he needed to do. He, everything was his. But when he fell, that dominion was transferred to a fallen angel. And that fallen angel was Satan. The Bible tells all kinds of things about Satan. It says he's the evil one. He's the accuser. He's the tempter. He's the prince of devils. He's the god of this age. He's the great dragon. And he's the old serpent. You know, funny thing, when you read Genesis, if you get a chance to this week, find out when it says that Satan is the serpent? Because everybody immediately assumes, well, that's Satan in the body. It never says Satan. It only says the serpent. You have to go and read some other passages throughout the Bible that refer back to the fact that Satan was in that garden. Pretty interesting thinking. You know, I've been taught every well, it's always been Satan. Why? It doesn't say that. So read and learn this week. That's a good thing to do. Um, but it says that he was the old serpent. It also says that he is the God of this world, blinding minds of the unbelievers until God brings light into the dark world. Ephesians 2 tells us that. You know, sin is a very nasty disease. It's a disease that we cannot cure on our own. That only Jesus was the cure. It took him dying on a cross and raising from the dead to overcome it. And it all starts back because God created in this story, and the story unfolds with this amazing thing, and everything was oh, very good. And then man made a decision to fall away from God and said, you know what, I want to have that one thing that I don't need and lose my fellowship with God. And throughout the rest 
of the story. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's a prophecy that goes on and on about how there's going to be this Savior that comes along, this Messiah that comes and reaches out to us, and he gonna, He's going to become a man, and He's going to be born in a stable, and He's going to be born in Bethlehem, and all the things. And then the New Testament comes along, and it records each and every one of those things. This story is continually unfolding. And as we look at it, we see ourselves right in the middle of it because the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. We are right there. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't know where you are in, in how you are relating to Him. Is it a, I know about God, or is it a, I know God on a personal level? I know that creation happened, or I know that God created me for a very specific pers- purpose. Is it that I know that, that this stuff that's around couldn't have just happened by accident, or is it I know that God makes things glorious and he made me so what does that make me when we grasp these things and make sure that we understand creation and make sure we understand the fall and the story that's going to play out that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks when we see that it makes god's love that much greater it makes his glory that much more glorious it all falls into place And His grace that we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks becomes that much more amazing because it delivers us from all the junk that we read about and all the junk that we are. Sin is so great, like I said, it took God's Son to die and resurrect to overcome it. And you know what? That's the only thing that does. As much as I would like to say that you could do it on your own, you can't. As much as I'd like to say that I can help do it for you, I can't. It's only God. It's only God. And the great thing is, tonight we're going to have all these baptisms. And, you know, I, I cannot be more excited about it. About being able to do all the baptisms and, and be a part of it. And having you guys there and having the fun along with it. But the baptisms in, in themselves, it's just so exciting that people are going to go public with a message of saying, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I've accepted him as my savior, and I want to let the world know about it. And that's what baptism's all about. I don't know where you are, like I said, in your relationship with God. Maybe you've been fighting him off. Maybe people have told you about him, and you just don't want to believe. Understandable. There's a lot of naysayers out there. There's a lot of people who are going to say, well, you're just using religion as a crutch. And I'll tell you this very thing. I am using religion as a crutch. Because I can't do it on my own, and that's what crutches are for. I can't do it under my own power. And God has lifted me up, and he is carrying me. I'm not even needing a crutch because he is carrying me along the way. Every mistake I make, every good thing I do, he's there with me. And I don't know where he's at with you. Maybe you're trying to push him away. Maybe you're trying to keep him away. Maybe the idea of baptism is a scary thing. You know, I know churches that make everybody who gets baptized do a video that gets played on the Sunday morning screen. Just be glad I don't make you do that, right? We probably have a lot less tonight, be my guess. I'm not getting on there. Oh. So the, the whole idea is God has got a story, and we're all a part of it. And where you fit into it is where you are. It, it's, it's, it's who you are, and it's what he's doing to change you. If you don't know God as your personal Savior, if you do not know that Jesus Christ died for you, I would love to talk to you about that today. If you do know that already and you've not taken the time to be baptized, we have room for one more tonight. I promise. 
It's going to get old. I'm just going to let you guys know this. I'm going to say this over and over and over again. By your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. You're going to hear that 14 times tonight. It's not going to get old for me. I sure hope it doesn't get old for you. I am really excited about doing it, about showing that. People getting to see it, it's going to be exciting. But I don't know where you're at. I want to give you the opportunity that if you want to make a decision for Christ today, I'm going to step back to the back as the, as the band sings. We're going to sing three songs this morning. Uh, it's not like any one stanza. If you've been in church for a long time and heard just as I am over and over and over again until somebody finally got up to make them stop singing the song, we're not doing that this morning. It's going to be all right. If you don't want to make a decision, then don't. I'm not one who's going to force you into it. I want you to know if God is calling you, then you need to listen, though. That is it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the story that is unfolding before our eyes. As we look at it, we thank you for the creation and the way that you've made everything so unique, even each and every one of us, that no two people are the same. God, you have made us in your own image, and we're thankful for it. But sin has separated us from you. Sin has created a gap between you and I. But you provided a bridge in Jesus Christ to get across that gap. I pray for anybody in here today, Lord, that doesn't know your son as personal Savior, that you're speaking to them. And if they choose not to make a decision today, that's fine. But if they choose, I pray that you guide them and direct them to change their lives and allow you to come in and work on them. Pray in your name. Amen.